Hello and welcome to another podcast with Greg Reese, Sunday afternoon podcast. Um, took off last week. I didn't even say anything. I figured it was self-explanatory Easter Sunday. So happy Easter, happy Sunday after Easter Sunday. And I hope you're all having a good day. I hope you're healthy and uh, hanging in there. If we're listening to podcasts on a Sunday afternoon, chances are it's not that bad, which is good. We have a lot to be grateful for. All right. Um, Today's going to be a bit of a ramble. You know, the only, um, I'll get the admin out of the way, same old, same old, same old. I'm still waiting for Substack to get back to me. It's been so long now that it's either that they're on the fence about cancel culture and they know who I work for, which I hope it's not that because I'm having a good time on Substack. It's making my life a little easier as far as uh, communicating with all of you. Or it's just because they are blowing up busy. And that is true. Like they are kind of blowing up out of nowhere. And it does seem to be that they're blowing up because they are a uh, outpost of free speech or an outpost that respects free speech. Because our free speech resides in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, not in any of these companies. So a company that respects the Bill of Rights. So anyways, uh, because of this, I am sending this out to all of my, all of my subscribers. And um, the difference with today's admin announcement is that uh, I will in the next week begin uh, producing more content than just a podcast and starting to get back on with my Substack plans. I'm not going to wait around anymore. What I was saying is I'm going to wait until they sort this out because I want to be able to manage between, you know, the paid subscribers and the free subscribers, you know, in a easeful way. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take them. I'll probably send a follow-up email and then just get on with my business and start putting out some more stuff. And uh, that will be sent to paid only and i'm gonna have to figure out how to get the uh the other paid on there who aren't there yet they're there they're just not there it's it's a it's boring story but i have been getting good feedback a lot of people have been enjoying this a lot of people are okay with the rants and the rambles they say what i've heard consistently people say is it's um, it's just like having a, uh, casual conversation. And uh, I guess that's true. I mean, that's what you're getting. What I did do last weekend was I visited a friend, a fellow journalist, uh, truther who I met online doing the work. And I went and met him for the first time in person. And, um, she commented that, uh, uh, in a polite way that basically uh, she says, I'm impressed. I'm extra impressed with how you're able to make your reports so concise, being that your mind is as disjointed as mine, or something like that. So I guess it is a thing. It is true. I'm all over the place mentally. I am very, I have, I'm a, I have a lot of energy for an old man, technically. Some people actually, oh, they're being polite when they uh, contest me on that, or they're older than me. But, um, you know, I'm over 50, 51. I can officially say I'm an old man. But for an old man, I bet I got more energy than you. I bet I got more energy than you. I got a lot of energy. <clears throat> ah, maybe I don't have more energy than you, but chances are I do. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop bragging. But what are we going to rant about today? Well, I have a little bit of... I did start making some notes. One more admin thing is... Um, this was in my notes. I got a conversation coming up. It might be next week. It probably won't be next week. It'll probably be the week after. But with uh, Celia Farber, a great journalist who's also on Substack. She's the one who turned me on to Substack. And uh, we're going to have this conversation that we had naturally before where she just it started uh, telling me about Sweden. She grew up in Sweden. 
I won't give it away, but it's fascinating and it's extremely poignant to where we are today. Basically, Sweden seems to have been like the the birthplace for everything that's being unleashed in the world today by the New World Order. It's very interesting, and I never heard anything like it before. I'm also going to have Harrison Smith on soon. Harrison Smith is uh, from Infowars, from the morning show, from the American Journal. I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I'm a little sad. It's like an up an hour later in the morning when I moved to Florida. You know, I, I'm, I don't have anything to fill that hour with. But uh, he's going to be on because I talked him into getting onto Substack. And they have a new feature here on Substack, which allows content providers to kind of collaborate, uh, something like that. So we'll experiment with that. And, uh, and the way we'll do it is I'm just going to have him on for a conversation. I love Harrison's one of those people I love having conversations with because I can get as far out as I like to, I don't have to, I don't have to censor myself at all. Yeah, he's a very intelligent guy and he's a lot of the stuff, like it's fun to bounce things off of him because I've, I've bounced things off him that he's never heard before. That's pretty, you know, that sound very far out there to a lot of people. And he's a, uh, he's a very open-minded guy, smart guy, fun guy to talk to. So it should be a good conversation. And why do I bring it up? I'm bringing it up because if any of you out there, uh, have any suggestions on what we could talk about? You know, otherwise, I'm sure I'll think of something. I'm sure we'll both think of something. But if you have any suggestions for that, I thought I would open that up into this uh, community. Uh, I think I have a sneeze coming on. Ooh, I think it passed. That's too bad. What a tease. Who doesn't like to sneeze? Look at the light. My first serious girlfriend in high school told me if you, you know, got a sneeze look at a light doesn't work for me what a tease nothing like a sneeze oh well so yeah if you have any suggestions for what you'd like to hear me and Harrison talk about throw them in the comments like I said before the sneeze tease came on I wanted to uh add that element to the community here, you know, get start acting, uh, taking advantage of the feedback. Uh, feedback's always appreciated, especially, you know, hey, if you got, um, I deleted my Facebook. I think that's the first time I ever mentioned it here. I deleted my Facebook and uh, eventually I'm going to have to try going to another computer that, that I've never been on and going to Facebook and seeing if I can find my page. I'm hoping the whole page is gone. They said it would take 30 days before they do that. But there's a, there's a part of me that doesn't think they're ever going to delete it. I think they want it as content for their little stupid uh, meta world. You know, it's just extra content. You know, everyone's page is going to become a character. That's what I'm suspecting. But anyways, I hope they, that's why, and one of the reasons why I deleted it. I don't want to be a, a part of that metaverse in any way. So anyways. You're always uh, welcome to post... Um, stories that you think are important that maybe I haven't seen yet because uh you know you get so busy you miss a lot of interesting stuff and that's the last thing I want to do is miss the interesting stuff all right I guess that's it now we get into the rant Probably more of a ramble than a rant. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not um, currently that upset or angry. I uh, So far, I had a good day. I got up, I slept in, forced myself to sleep in like crazy. I slept in until like basically 9.30, almost 10. Uh, and that's late for me. There was a time, obviously, because I was a young person at one point. There was a time for me where I'd, I was a master at sleeping in, into, the, into the afternoon sometimes. But today I slept in, and as soon as I got up, I cleaned, cleaned, cleaned. I cleaned everything. Cleaned everything from dusting down to mopping the floor, every room, everything. So everything's very clean. That always feels good. Cleaned the porch outside, the, the lizard's stepped aside and watched and 
in rapt awe as I swept their dirty floor out in the lanai. And now I'm feeling pretty good. I'm surrounded by clean. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. It is true. I like to get her done once a week. So feeling good, ready to ramble. Listen to, uh, and the start of the ramble is going to be um, Atlantis. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go from there. And I'm going to just because I'm, it's my latest uh, interest is the, the dark journalist. I'm going to plug the dark journalist just because I'm a fan. The dark journalist is one of my favorite sources these days for the full picture the full spectrum information, which I see myself getting into more in the future. What do I mean by that full spectrum information? I mean, there's a, there's a, if you just stick to the materialistic politics of it, then you're, then you're truly on the rat wheel. You're truly stuck in this paradigm of left, right, left wing, right wing politics, nonsense. Yes, there is an important social um, battleground going on there. But in order to really get the full picture, you got to get the full picture, right? And, and I was, what that means is uh, the, uh, the woo, as Cliff High would call it, the woo. The UFO story, the alien abduction story, uh, the... The uh, missing lost civilizations, alternative origin stories of humanity, all this stuff is the big picture. And, and, when, and to continue with my plug with Dark Journalist, one of my favorite things about Dark Journalist is he is well aware of the misinformation that's involved. And he's pretty on point. Like, I'm a, I, I'm a big fan. Um, obviously you have to, you can't trust anyone and you have to, uh, check everyone. Uh, that should go unsaid, but, uh, maybe eventually when we, uh, restart reforming the world, maybe that should be taught in kindergarten, you know, <laughs> don't take my word for it. Do your own research. You know, that's what you got to do. And, uh, dark journalist is very easy to, cause he will, cite everything that needs to be cited and, and make it very easy for you to do that. Good source, good, good source. And he gets into the woo, big time. So um, today I was listening to it and he was getting into Atlantis, which definitely always gets my attention, but it got my attention more now because of my head's been heavy into the cataclysm story. And I remember I told you all I was going to do a cataclysm video a couple of weeks ago, I think the last podcast I said that, and I never did. And it's just because it's other more important things came up. You know, I think it's important to do a scary video on the, the uh, lockdowns too are coming because they are, you know, this isn't a time to relax and, and start cheering on um, a billionaire who got just as rich as Bezos off of all of us in the past two years who wants to put ships on our heads and who's been a fraud and a liar about his entire past. This isn't a time to cheer someone like that on as if they're going to uh, help us, you know? All he's doing, uh, I don't know what he's doing, but uh, he could just simply be getting his, his dopamine fix, you know? They love me. Look how much they love me, you know? Why not? I heard uh, the probably the proper angle up that he's... Once he gets Twitter, he's going to make it um, like uh, more transhumanist, uh, you know, where you have to uh, verify. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> this is all going. They're very serious about this goal. And that goal doesn't seem to be something that's, that's negotiable. The transhumanist goal. And also on the cataclysm video, cataclysm video, uh, Corey Lynn, I'm, I'll just give a um, shout out and a plug to Corey Diggs. CoreyDiggs.com. Uh, you go to Corey Diggs and, and see Corey's work. Corey is one of the um, 
great researchers out there. And I've done a few videos. I've done at least three videos based on her reports. And it's a challenge. That's why she says I'm very concise is because I start off, her reports are extremely comprehensive. So I'll start off with like 20 pages and I'll end up with one, <laughs> you know, that's because my reports are basically about a one, 1.3 page length report. But um, she had a very, we were talking about the cataclysm and surprisingly, I was very, I was surprised that she hasn't really heard that story. But I was also uh, thrilled to be the first one telling it to her because I could see her reaction. And she's a smart person, and she's seen basically the big picture, I mean, in all of her research. So um, things were clicking. And she immediately asked me, she said, is that why they're doing the, is that what the, why they're doing the transhumanism thing? Is it because they think that they can survive it? as like through that and she also said is that why they want they're talking about going to mars is they just want to get up there and and hover around in their ships until things calm down they can come back and i mean that's why she's a great uh at what she does because i'm i, I you know i find those two things very interesting and i never put that together and i'm obsessed about the cataclysm. I don't try to be obsessed about it. I've taught, you know, people have been listening to my podcast since I started almost a year ago. You know, you've obviously all heard me going on about it. I even outlined uh, the video work pre-production, which I haven't looked at in months on the show. So it's a subject that I'm fascinated by. And I think it's important. Like I said, at the beginning of this, you, I think it's important. If you really want the truth, then you can't, you have to get rid of your filters or manage your filters. You know, you, you have to allow the truth to get into you. You know, um, uh, so many of us are, are quick to shoo things away. But I have a habit of, um, of if anything is interesting looking, then I'm all over it. Uh, I don't, if it, it like if it, my filter doesn't really have a thing where something is like, that can't be true. You know, I'll have a, I'll, I'll catch a, my glimpse of it is more like, that's probably not true, <laughs> but I want to, I want to check that out and see if it is. Cause if it is true, wow, that is some, that is interesting. And, and that's how my filter is like, actually the more outrageous it sounds, the more likely I am to dive and, and dig into it. Just out of curiosity and find out, you know, and if you it takes time and takes an effort, but if you spend enough time, you should be able to, you know, discern uh, if there's if you're on to something or if it's just a wasted misinformation dead end road to make it to make the whole story sound ridiculous. Right. Which is what a lot of it is. For example, in my research, there's a lot of in the occult world the story of Lemuria and Mu, along with the stories of Atlantis. And I still need to dig deeper, but I'm starting to get the impression that these are these are old school, like century old misinformation, that these occult mystery schools put that out to, to just... Um, make Atlantis seem equally as um, fictional. When really, uh, Atlantis is a story that's just extremely... And, and yeah, you know, I think also Hollywood and uh, all of pop culture has done a pretty good job of making Atlantis appear to be uh, fantastical fiction. Why Atlantis is important, in my opinion, in the big picture, is because Atlantis is, if, it, if, if there's evidence that Atlantis is real, and what is Atlantis? Atlantis is a highly advanced civilization that used to exist in the past and prior to, you know, Plato and Aristotle and doesn't exist anymore. 
to me, it's important because this is proof of lost civilizations. It doesn't even have to be Atlantis. It could be, you could look no further than the, the pyramid of, on the Giza Plateau and how the Sphinx is much older because of the water erosion at the base of the Sphinx. It's much older than they think it is. The, the, the Egyptians who claim it, I mean, they're not alive, but the, the Egyptians who are claimed for having it, they inherited it, inherited it just as the Aztecs sort of inherited the Mayan culture. And, you know, this goes way back to a highly advanced civilization that understood astronomy, that understood uh, agriculture, that understood all everything that we, you know, and uh, more importantly, understood a technology, it seems, and energy. You know, if you go into some of these photographs, you'll find when you look into the, the Egyptian pyramid at Giza, you'll see massive, massive chunks. How massive? Um, like, you know, uh, 40, I've seen pictures that were like, you know, maybe 10 by 40 feet, uh, six feet thick, seven feet thick of quartz crystal. And they're broken pieces. These are chunks, broken pieces. And what they used to be was the 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 ground, the the plateau, or at the base of the pyramids. You know, the the, the floor, the ground that you walked on. At one point, was this massive? What looked to be like they grew it in place or something. It looked to be all one massive piece of. Or maybe like they poured it, like they could somehow had the ability, somehow they had the ability to, instead of pouring concrete, like pour massive slabs of quartz crystal. Very interesting. And uh, when you look at the electronic properties of quartz crystal and the electromagnetic, you know, all that stuff, they're, they're like, why? Why were they doing that? And then you get into the properties of the pyramid shape itself and the fact that the pyramid in, you know, fairly recent past, had a, a, a smooth, shiny, reflective coating on it. There's still uh, photographs that show uh, the remnants of it before they tore it all down. So the that's the meaning of Atlantis. The meaning of Atlantis, to me, has always been lost civilization. But uh, now I'm starting to, for the first time, sort of weigh that with also the technology. Like, because uh, land, like, well, I guess the Pyramid of Giza and all that stuff, too. And a lot of people would even argue that everything I'm describing uh, was all part of Atlantis. You know, the, the Giza Plateau, along with, you know, you'll find um, Easter Islands and... Um, Machu Picchu, Machu Picchu, I don't know if I'm saying it right. These areas also have similar architecture, similar designs, all unexplainable. Like they have the same types of tools. They had, there's a lot of evidence that in both of those places that show that they were able to drill and cut through the hardest stone um, in ways that we, in some ways that we can, like in, in Egypt, you'll see drill, boring drill holes that look like they were done by our drills. All hidden. This is hidden in uh, China. There's hundreds of pyramids. That's fascinating. There's a massive pyramid structure in Bosnia that dwarfs the Egyptian pyramid. Three of them in Bosnia. That's been going on for almost 15 years, I think. I almost went there. I, I, I volunteered. I did an application for there and a yoga ashram. No, uh, no, I'm sorry. A, a Buddhist, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery. I volunteered to build temples for Buddhists in California mountains and dig up a pyramid in Bosnia. And I was accepted to do both. And I chose the monastery. It wasn't an easy choice, you know? I mean, and you could still do the Bosnia thing if you're interested. You know, you can go there and help dig up pyramids. And there's crazy stuff going on. They got, um, uh, 
as far as technology, yeah, they've got physicists that have measured uh, a voltage readings above the pyramid that apparently get higher in voltage the higher above the pyramid, like and it's emanating out as if it's a beam. And this is a thing they're digging out of a mountain, basically. Really weird stuff. And so, um, well, before I drop the Atlantis thing, uh, the dark journalist video I was listening to today pointed out uh, another few obvious things that I never really caught, which is Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein, their presence in the hot zone, the Bahama area, that whole area there is, this is where it seems that Ernest Hemingway was searching for Atlantis, was in this area. This is where a lot of people are, are pinpointing it, looking for it, and expecting it to rise up out of, the, out of the ocean, land to start appearing, which would explain the Clintons' involvements in the area and Haiti. and uh, I mean, Jeffrey Epstein lives right down there. Ghislaine Maxwell has a whole submarine business company thing, right, where she's, like, mapping the ocean floor with submarines, they're bringing um, scientists down there in these submarines, like world-famous scientists and stuff. Uh, now, obviously, it's, it's also what we know it is, right? But it's curious. The whole scientist-submarine location part of it is curious, is it not? I mean, it is to me. So it made me was wondering, it was like, um, because when you get into cataclysm... The I've been so focused on it being cyclic cataclysm, meaning like, you know, there are astronomical events, you know, like eclipses and whatnot that happen predictable. They're predictable. They happen on a, on a calendar, on a clock, right? Like, you know, every so many thousands of years, this is good thing. This thing's going to happen, you know, asteroids, and uh, meteor showers, you know. So the idea of a cyclic cataclysm for me was based on, I think, solid evidence. There's definitely been uh, documentaries I've seen that made the case that there's enough monuments. There's enough monuments that were designed to somehow withstand a cataclysm that are monu that are, um, aligned to the equinoxes that suggest that that's what these things are. These things are little signposts that humans left for future humans to be like, hey, uh, don't, don't forget about this thing, right? right? This, this big boom that comes. And I've done, I've talked about this in the past. I've done, uh, this is what the gist of the report is. And the fact that it's cyclic also goes a long way to explain what we're experiencing in the world today. It explains why they're in such a hurry. For example, if the uh, Diebold Institute is correct, and he's been busy researching this for decades, he wrote a book about it in the late 60s, and his calculations, which, I mean, he also uh, equates this solar event to the Gleichberg cycle, which is the sunspot cycle. <clears throat> so this is a common theory, like his theory is shared by several people. Several people, uh, if not everyone on the subject, will agree that this, this Gleichberg cycle definitely has something to do with this solar event. It is... Um, part of the sun's life, part of the sun's clock. Anyways, he places this event somewhere around 2047, I think. 2047. And so that explains, if that's true, if the recurrent solar nova, the next recurrent solar nova, and it also has been proven for, for what that's worth, you know. But it's it's... There's evidence that shows that our sun 
has recurrent novas. Nova being where it sort of explodes. Doesn't die like a supernova. But it, it's still, it's, a, it's like a mini nova. And um, if this is true, if the next nova is in 2047, and it is the cataclysmic event that doesn't necessarily kill all humans and all life, like life is able to survive, but it wipes the sandbox clean, it wipes the, it might not destroy the Pyramid of Giza or the structures at Machu Picchu, which today's master architects agree that these structures seem to have been built to withstand an absolute cataclysm. But it will wipe out our skyscrapers and our glass and our steel and all that stuff. Uh, There's a really fascinating documentary that the BBC did. I think it's called After Humans. And it's basically, it says, what happens if humans just disappeared? What would happen to everything? And I think within just a few centuries, like all the structures were gone. You know? Like, um, swallowed up by the earth and decayed and rusted and withered away, you know, just gone, like no evidence. So, like, our civilization would be gone, turned to dust in, in a thousand years, completely like dusted. There'd be no evidence that it ever was here. And that alone is very interesting. So, um, if this solar recurrent solar nova happens in 2047 like the Diebold system uh, Diebold Institute suggests that would explain everything wouldn't it it would explain why they have this 2030 agenda and why it was originally it was originally the 2020 right or 2024 I can't, I can't remember but now it's mostly known as 2030 agenda uh, we also know why they're claiming why the boneheads like AOC are claiming the world's going to be over in 20 years. You know, these people were probably shown if this is true, they probably bring people in by showing them some type of evidence of this event. If you look into alien abduction stories, pretty much 80 percent of those people were shown the destruction of Earth and told this is going to happen in the very near future. Does that mean it's true? Absolutely not. In fact, the, the alien abduction stories make me suspicious of the whole thing. But anyways, that's the idea of cyclic cataclysm. The idea that it is on a clock. And that you know when it's coming. And I still, when I look at this, I still think that's at least the story that that, that, that people are being told on the inside because that would explain to me how you can get everyone on board. But then, uh, anyways, the Atlantis thing makes me, like, it always does because when you get into the Atlantis story, the Atlantis story is basically a cataclysm story, 100%. But uh, the, the cataclysm story of Atlantis well, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know enough about it, but I actually just reached out to Dark Journalist. I hope he, and I'm sure he's busy. I hope he takes the time to read my email and reply because I'm curious to see what he thinks. But by some account, and it might just be an account, excuse me. I heard it from Samuel Anvior, who was the head of the Gnostic Church. He, I'm sure, got it from somewhere else. He was, was a master of compiling scripture, religious scripture, occult scripture, basically everything written down about God and um, sort of managing it in his way which I'm a big fan of the way he managed it. I thought he was able to filter out the misinformation, if you will, and find the, con the commonalities through it all. Anyways, he got it from somewhere, I don't know where, but his account was that Atlantis destroyed, that the, the, the humans, 
in Atlantis caused the cataclysm, and they caused it by meddling with a certain type of technology. Now, what's interesting is that just seems, uh, you know, it's like not until you get the, uh, for example, it seemed uh, ambiguous. Like, okay, well, what kind of technology is going to really destroy the world? But where I got to understanding it more was since I can wrap my head around a recurrent nova causing this, because this is how the recurrent nova would cause it, and this is all very down-to-earth science, is initially the explosion of the sun would rain fire down and burn everything. So the initial bomb would be just a massive, massive firebomb burning everything in its path. That would be followed by an ice age that would come on very fast because that initial explosion, one of the things that's going to burn up is moisture, moisture in the air, moisture in the, in the oceans, moisture everywhere, water. It's going to immediately turn that into a gas, which is going to bring on an ice age extremely fast, like as fast as that movie, The Day After Tomorrow. You know, it's just going to, you're going to just, everything's just going to start freezing. <clears throat> which will then be followed by a flood. Through this process, you're also going, it's going to likely set off other, uh, you know, you can imagine. So how does the, the um, recurrent Nova happen? Well, by most accounts, people are saying there's a relationship between what uh, the Earth's magnetism and the sun, and it is it are it is this relationship, these two things, that somehow um, are triggered and cause the sun to nova. Okay, pretty simple, right? Now, once I have that in my head, I can I have that in my head. I can see that in my head. Um, then the Atlantis thing, the technology thing, could simply just be some type of technology that we get our hands on that allows us to meddle with that relationship, that somehow allows us to um, interfere with this uh, relationship between the Earth's magnetism and the sun. And by meddling with it and not knowing what we're doing, we create a recurrent nova and the same thing, right? Um, I don't know. What's important about it is that, okay, we'll get, now we, we've been out there into the woo. Now we're going to reel it in for the rest of it into, uh, the down to earth part of the story. The part that we get on the TV set, the part that we get on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and, and social media, you know? The thing about, you know, like a uh, Democrat and Republicans and, and uh, all that. Obviously, I, uh, it, it's wearing on me, <laughs> as, as it should you. All right, here's some homework if you find the subject interesting. Not necessarily the subject. The subject I was just talking about, if you find that interesting, you, you know, go to Dark Journalist and check it out. All kinds of Atlanta stuff, really interesting stuff. But now, if you've never seen it, there's a great, great documentary on BBC called uh, Hypernormalization, an Adam Curtis documentary. It's like six hours, six parts or something like that. Um, it's good. There is a... I wish there was more... It's a movie, and I've never seen a documentary that had sources. They don't really do that, do they? It's unfortunate. You know what, now that I, I hope I remember it, when I ever make a feature documentary that I am going to include sources. Because I would like that. But, um, and it was hard for me to source it from the Adam Curtis documentary. So, for all I know, he's full of shit. But I don't think so. I mean, he, he who knows? But anyways, here's what I'm getting at. What he gets at in hypernormalization was, according to him, and he named names and 
you can, I mean, you can check a lot of this out. Like I was trying to do a report on it and, and check it all out. I couldn't get all the details, but these are actual people that, uh, in the government, blah, blah, blah. So he claims that Putin's government hired um, this guy. I can't remember his name, but he is a real guy. Uh, he had a history in theater, in drama, and they hired him into government, and they hired him to help the economy. And what he did to help the economy was he created a neo-Nazi group, he probably found uh, radical elements and um, funded and nurtured it and seeded it into something much bigger. Gave them attention on the television to basically stress everyone out. And then he also created the anti-neo-Nazi group, which he probably found the natural elements of and like I funded and seeded it and created it. And gave that a spotlight on the TV and then started spotlighting both of this drama on the television, uh, basically sending the message to everyone's TV sets that there is like this war brewing. Look, they got these guys over here, these crazy Nazis, and then these guys over here, and they're crazy too, and they hate each other, blah, blah, blah. And what they did that for, according to Adam Curtis in hypernormalization, was to boost their economy because they were struggling after rebuilding Russia after the fall of the Soviets and after the robbery of all the oligarchs. They needed to build a a vibrant, you know, somewhat capitalistic society. Um, And that's how they did it, by poking people and putting fear into people and, 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 and like... And specifically with this Nazi, uh, anti-Nazi thing. Well, I guess for them, that makes sense in Russia because now we're learning, a lot of us are getting this history lesson with Russia and the Nazis, and uh, that's their big thing, right? That's what they're afraid of uh, the most. That's their boogeyman. Uh, it's a lot more closer to home than it is for us. We went over to Europe and fought Nazis, right? And so it was right next. It was in there. It was there. It was in Russia. It was there, you know, in Ukraine. And you go back further and Stalin in communist Russia, they targeted Ukraine harder than anyone else, right? 3.3 million starved by Russia. So they got, they got that drama. But according to Adam Curtis in hypernormalization, Obama administration caught wind of how successful this campaign was and brought it over to America. Now, I do agree. I mean, that, that part is factual. It was during the Obama administration that the, you know, the whole Nazi, anti-Nazi thing started being created in American culture, American pop culture, because it never existed before then. I mean, there were there were neo-Nazi groups, but if you want an education on what neo-Nazi groups were like before then, watch um, The Blues Brothers, which is a movie from the 80s. And even that movie was fictional, and even that movie was like, most people who watched that movie back then was like, there's still people marching around as Nazis? It's because it was a joke. point being is maybe that's all they're doing is getting us to spend more money that's um my entire point for the past 40 minutes or however long i've been talking about the big picture and the little picture and atlantis and ufos and what's going on in the left versus right paradigm Maybe there's something much more valuable at play than just money. After all, I mean, the, the enemy we're talking about, the human's enemy, the, you know, the, the bankers, I mean, they have an endless amount of money. So I think, 
I think it's fair to say this is clearly not about greed. That, that might be a recruitment. It's obviously, it is a re- recruitment method <clears throat> for, for many levels is greed. But that's not what the top of the pyramid's all about. So what are they all about? And I really think it is this um, mystery. The mystery is something about lost civilizations, something about aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, something about a clean, or I don't know about clean, but a different type of technology that dwarfs, you know, anything we're using. That's what the, that's what this is really all about. And, um, and I, I keep going back. I do think that, you know, I keep thinking of that Adam Curtis documentary where according to him, they're doing this to, uh, stoke the economy and get people to spend more money. And, uh, I didn't think too much about it until 2020. But in 2020, I spent every penny I made on guns, gold, and ammunition. Mostly ammunition and guns. In 2021, I spent everything on like um, basic survival gear, uh, storable foods, <clears throat> that sort of thing. I also moved. I, I mean, I move all the time, but um, but that's more of a gen. Like everyone, how many people have been moving? How many people have been also buying things? If I had a home, if I owned a home, I'd be buying all kinds of stuff. I'd be buying dish soap. I'd be buying extra socks, extra pairs of shoes, extra pairs of boots. I'd be buying anything I could think of that I would really miss if I couldn't go to the store and get it anymore, right? (laughs) And so... If there is something more important going on, bigger than than what we're... And I'm sure it is. What is it? And uh, they're probably just using us to... Okay, so here's... I'm going to go back. I still think it's cataclysm. And like what Corey uh, was suggesting is that the uh, the idea of going to Mars is to somehow avoid the catastrophe and that the transhumanism is a way of, of surviving it. I agree. I think that is true. It certainly explains the mad rush. Um, they actually say that's the purpose of going to Mars. I don't think we can go to Mars or the moon, personally. Um, I'm, I'm not obviously certain on that. I don't know. But I do think that's what the transhumanist thing is all about. Like, they think, well, maybe if we... It's like they, we, maybe we can just store ourselves, you know? The whole thing is gay. It's gay. It's, and I mean that in the proper term of the word gay. It's stupid. It's people, and mostly they seem to be rich people, who can't deal with death. And that's gay. If you can't deal with death, I, I hate to make fun of you, but um, it's time to start thinking about your death. Especially now. I, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but... Uh, the times we're living in really make a person uh, face this, right? I was talking to, I, I mean, I do tend to be a bit extreme and radical, but I was talking to a good friend of mine I grew up with a few months ago or a few weeks ago, and I said, you know, man, if we're around three years from now and we're able to, like, call each other up and catch up about things, we are the luckiest motherfuckers in the world. <clears throat> That's how I feel. It just feels... Uh, close, you know? So, um, a lot of us, I would say the more down to earth balanced ones of us are, are turning to God and 
making peace and, and, and doing cleaning up whatever loose ends we need to clean up before we go, right? Because it seems like time could be short for some of us. I don't know. And anyways, that's all that this transhumanist thing is really when I look at it like that, like now it's like, it's like, and it is like uh, one of my favorite writers, Robert Anton Wilson, really good writer. And um, I remember I was really disappointed when I, he kept his transhumanist ideas out of his books. Thank, thankfully, I wouldn't have been a big fan of his at all if he did. I just knew, I learned about it in his more, uh, in his interviews where he would talk, like, talk like I'm talking. Um, he talked about it and I was. But really, what do you call that? You call that mental illness. It's our, that's our, we have a very poor mental health problem. And there are solutions. And they're not, I mean, they're, they're ancient. And none of them involve drugs. None of them. Okay, maybe, maybe a couple, lightly. <laughs> but they really just involve... Simple things, like for example, I'll give one example right now. Um, the the monastery ashram model. Now, the way the easy way to make this um, work in the West would be uh, some type of very general Christian type of uh, um, ethos theme over the monastery because the 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 really honestly the the weak point for the monastery ashram model as it exists today is it's usually based on the ethos and ideology of a single individual like the guru and i mean come on people like i said we're all mentally ill is that a good idea <laughs> do you really think you got it all figured out where you can create the an entire cult no, 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 no. So we pick something more universal in general for these uh, monastery-type ashrams. And what happens in a monastery ashram? Well, it's the same thing that's been happening for thousands of years in these places, basically. You, you go there, and I don't care what you say, you're going there because you're mentally ill. That's why I went to ashrams and monasteries, was because I had mental issues that I needed to hammer through. I needed to figure out what was going on in my head. I needed to figure out why I couldn't thrive like other people, why I was haunted by thoughts and things, right? And so what happens when you go to these places? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, there is one is you're in a low-stress environment where you're, you're working and earning your keep and your food, but it's, it's on the cheap, so, like, in my experiences, there was a voluntary... I volunteered uh, at a work volunteership at a monastery. That one was just... Actually, that was brutal work. <laughs> that was 77 hours of uh, building bronze statues and building a temple. Um, that was tons of work. But that gave me a sense of work ethic, which is extremely valuable for a mentally ill person to understand the value of hard work, the value of hard, back-breaking labor, even. Uh, the other ashram experience I had long-term was more traditional in that the work was more like a 35-hour work week made up of kitchen and cleaning and farming, which are basically the things that need to get done in a community. You know, the community... You're eating for free. They, you, they feed you there. And in order for that to happen, we have to grow food and cook food. And so everyone takes their turn doing these things or cleaning. Cleaning was my least favorite. I enjoy cleaning home, at home. But for whatever reason, I wasn't a big fan of the, in the ashram sanitarium. You know. But... Um, and what does this do? This helps a mentally ill person just sort of, uh, first of all, you're, you're living good. You are, you are um, providing food for your community, your, the people you live with. You know, you're taking turns doing that, which 
whether you like it or not, is going to instill a certain type of uh, sanity inside of you. And and you're going to start understanding, you know, simple things of what life is all about, you know. That's what these places are. And some of them, uh, you know, if people are a little more like martial arts, some, some mentally ill people are a little more physical, you know, and that's where you could have, you know, certain like martial art type ashrams, you know, that could lead to a righteous military service. You know, there was in the Indian Vedas, their uh, warrior class, they weren't necessarily, they weren't known for like invading countries and, and, and starting disasters and chaos like the American government is. They were known for Basically, taking care of society, uh, cleaning up the pedophiles, you know, and the scumbags and the miscreants and all the people that are the preying off of humanity. Their job was to deal with that element so that decent folks could just live their lives in peace. Realizing, you know, that in reality, you need that. In reality, you need to kill the bad guys. You know, so there's a lot of solutions, folks, and I'm just a dumb guy. And right here, one just simple dumb guy on a Sunday afternoon pretty much laid out all we need to do to make our world thrive and buzz for generations to come. So, hey, I'm not going to go after that. That's a great place to leave it. I mean, I basically just. Well, you know, I just said it. So that's it. Thank you for joining. I hope you guys are all doing great. I hope you are are doing better than I am, (laughs) you know, Uh, or if you're struggling as much as I am, I hope you're taking care of yourself, you know, letting yourself express that emotion. Can't hold on to the emotion you got. That's one of the most important things that I've learned in life is you got to express that shit because uh, otherwise it turns into other things, you know, it can turn into sickness and and other types of disease. So let it out, you know, however you got to do that and take care of yourselves and, uh, and be good to yourselves and stock up on things that you really like and are important to you because the times are going to get tough no matter what, even if we turn it into this incredible place that we can. All right, guys, I'm out. See you next week. And so it might not just be about um, their own lives being afraid of dying. It's, it's the fear of losing their, their power over all of humanity. Because that's, that's, that would do it. Like uh, if you rock the sandbox that big and, 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 and the only people that are going to survive are people in, in very specific areas, caves, um, people that have access to caves in a real quick hurry. Who knows? I don't think anyone knows exactly who, what, where. Just enough. And, and maybe nobody. Uh, some of these stories you get into when you research it talk about um, these UFOs sort of picking up the best genetics, taking them off planet until the cat, uh, cataclysm clears and then bringing them back down to seed the planet again to start this whole thing over again, whatever it is. Who knows? But uh, it does seem like that's what they're after, is to somehow get through it without losing all of their stuff. Well, uh, if that is true, I'm glad I'm not them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because uh, my burden is small compared to theirs. And I know I can part I know I can part with these two guns. I know I can do that. I could probably I mean if I had to I could do it within a minute and it would be, you know, seconds. Easy. And get over it. So uh, I have a lot less to complain about than these folks. It's funny how I think I don't think I ever did, but um, I think we're conditioned to. I think we're conditioned to admire and envy them 
you know, the rich and the powerful. Or maybe, maybe it's just a natural thing that humans have. I don't know. But I never have. Um, luckily, I'm very, I'm fortunate for that. And as, as a, as a ignorant young person, uh, just going off of gut and intuition, I never did. And then as I got older, I, the more I learned, the more I realized, yeah, that's nothing to envy there. These people are actually slaves. The, the rich and famous, particularly the rich and famous, like the people in the public sphere. I'm sure if you're, and even the ones that aren't in the public sphere, like they're slaves to their family, you know, to the, to their power. One of the best things about having nothing, and I, and I have lived most, most of my life with nothing, is when you have nothing, you can just get up and go anywhere. You can, it, your life is, is very freeing. It's very liberating. It's extremely liberating. All right. I think we've made the full curve of the conversation. I hope it made some sense. It was, like I said, just a ramble. A ramble about what's going on in my head lately. <laughs> and what's going on in my head lately is always the same thing since I was a kid. And that is, what the hell is going on? And uh, we're lucky enough to be living in a time where we're learning the answer to that quicker than anyone ever has in the past. So we got that going for us. Which is nice. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you have an incredible afternoon. I hope you have an incredible evening. I hope you move into this week strong and happy. And um, I'll catch you next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. Love you guys.